Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to read verses 7 and 8. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Am I the only person in here who likes to drink milk? Do I have any milk drinkers in here? It's dark in here today, isn't it? I can't see your hand, but I'm believing by faith. Hands are going up everywhere. I drink it breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They said it does a, does a body good. It hadn't done mine any good. It's made me look like this. But I love it. And God tells the Egyptians, or he tells the Israelites who are in Egypt, they've been there for 400 plus years. They've never known freedom. They've been slaves. They're, they're slaves. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents, their great-grandparents were slaves. And the Lord says something. I've seen your sorrow. I've seen your oppression. And God says, I'm coming down. I'm coming down. I'm going to get involved in it. And when I come down and get involved in this, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to save you from this. And then God says, and not just am I going to bring you out of Egypt, but I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. There was a time in our family that we go through a gallon and a half, two gallons of milk a day. Now, I have five kids, but I'm just telling you, we love milk. So when I read that passage, I was like, I get it. He's taking them out of Egypt, and he's going to bring them into a promised land. I personally can really relate with this, because when I read this passage of Scripture, I see my own life. Listen, you don't have to have been in slavery to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians to know what slavery is like. The Bible says in John chapter 8, he who sins is a slave to sin. When you read back through what he said, see if you can relate where it says, God says, I've surely seen. I've seen your oppression. Like, I've heard your cry. Have you ever before cried out to God about something because you felt completely overwhelmed You felt helpless. You felt hopeless. Anybody ever been in that place before in your life? Here's what God's saying. I've seen it. I've heard it. And God said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to deliver you. It was a Wednesday night, a handful of people in a little bitty church in a little bitty town called Waverly, Tennessee. And that's where the Lord came down and met me. And that's where he brought me out of my slavery to sin. And when I heard that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins, and I heard that Jesus Christ would forgive me, and I heard that even though there were things in my life and I could never free myself from it, but that he could give me hope, he could free me. I became a Christian. I became a Christian. Now, here's what I heard probably about eight months later. I would hear about eight months later because I remember the sermon when I would hear the fact that God didn't just save me from something, but that God saved me for something. And I remember sitting there in that service going, I wonder what God saved me for. Like, I can't imagine. My my past was one of drug addiction, alcoholism, 
done a lot of bad things, won't go into it all, but just a horrible past, was not a good person whatsoever in any way, liar, cheat, I was a thief, and a lot of other words would be used to describe me. So the fact that God would be not just saving from me, I thought he was saving me from my sin. I did not know he was saving me for a purpose. I kind of found it hard to believe, but the more the pastor would preach, the more he would share, the more I'd read the Bible, I would have this aha moment. Everybody God saves from, God also saves for. Everybody. Everybody. Every one of us. And you go, Josh, tell me a little bit about it. What's he, what's he promising them? What's this land look like? How much land is it? Numbers chapter 34, verse 1 and 2, and then we'll really get into this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel, say to them, when you come into the land of Canaan, that's that land flowing with milk and honey. That's the good, and he said, large land. You say, how large? This is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan and its boundaries. How large was the land? I wondered that myself, and I read the whole chapter. The chapter lays out the pins, if you will. It lays out the boundary lines of what God had promised them. There was a surveyor who was a godly man, and he read this passage years ago, and he goes, I wonder how much it was. So he put a map on his wall at his house, and he began to survey out the land, and you couldn't measure it in acres because it's a lot. He measured it in square miles. Anybody want to take a guess on how many square miles it was? Who thinks it was 50,000 square miles? 150,000. 1,259,000 square miles. Who thinks it was that? You're wrong. It ain't that. It was 300,000 square miles. I don't know where I came up with the other number. It was 300,000 square miles. And here's what's really interesting. I read that, and then I had this other thought. It just hit me. That's what God promised. I wonder if they possessed all of it. And then I thought, I know they didn't because I've read the Bible. I know they didn't possess it all. I wonder how much of the 300,000 miles I actually possessed because here's the point. Just because you have a promise don't mean you're going to possess it. God makes the promise, that's his part, but the possessing of the promise, well, that's your part. It'll take action on your part. And God told him, if you want to possess the land, you've got to go in and drive all the inhabitants out. He says there's Hedatites and Jebsites and, and Canaanites and probably some termites, and you've got to get in there and drive every one of them out. You've got to deal with their idolatry and their, and their altars and their graven images, and all that stuff's got to go. Because if you're going to possess the promise, I want to be the only Lord in your life. That's the way you possess the promise. And they didn't do it. They did some of it, but they didn't do all of it. Which personally, I think, describes my life at times and maybe describes your life too. And that God has saved us not just from, but God has saved us for. And he's quite honestly saved us for a lot more than what we're actually experiencing. We're settling for a percentage. If you're wondering how much 300,000 square miles is, I was on the phone this morning with a buddy and because he's from the United Kingdom and we have some hope centers there and we have a church there, we were talking and I was going over this with him and I go, hey, I'm just curious, how many square miles is the United Kingdom? That would be Scotland and England and Wales and Northern Ireland. And he goes, I have no idea. And so we looked it up. 
little over 90,000, 90,000 something square miles. So here's what I'm saying. Take all four countries, doublet, you're not there yet. Triplet, you're not there yet. You got to go a little further. And that's how much land God promised the Israelites. And my friend, his name's Clyde, he goes, that's amazing. I did not realize God promised them that much land. And I want to ask you the same question I asked him, but how much of it did they possess? 30,000 square miles, 10%, only 10%. So in other words, they, they had possessed just a little bit more than the half of England. They possessed about little more than half of England, one country out of the four, when they were supposed to possess all four times 3.3. And you go, they only possessed 10%. Let me tell you a quick story. There was a guy that wanted to come to America. This was years and years back because this was a land of opportunity. This was a land of promise. And he bought a ticket on this ship. And every evening on the ship, it was a 30-day voyage. And every evening on the ship, he would sit outside the window of the dining hall and he could smell all the food. I mean, it was an extravagant buffet. It was all kinds of breads and pastries. And they had prime rib and seafood. And it was all the roasted vegetables all of it, and he would set out there every evening, and he would open up his bag, and he would take a few crackers, and he would cut off some cheese, and he would eat cheese and crackers. And this went on day after day after day, till the 29th day that evening, they were having their final dinner there in the dining hall, and a man walked by after dinner and said, young man, I've got to ask a question. We've sat in there and we've dined on some of the best food I've ever had in my life, and there has been plenty of it. And I've noticed at mealtime, every meal, you sit outside the dining hall and you sit out here on the ship and you eat cheese and crackers. I've got to know why. God put his head down and he said, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but I'm poor. It took everything I had and it wasn't much, but I sold all I possessed just to buy the ticket because I wanted to come to America, a land of opportunity, a land where anything's possible. He wanted to come to a land flowing milk and honey. And he said, so I didn't have enough money for anything else just for the voyage. So I packed cheese and crackers, and I would sit out here, and I would eat. I didn't want to come inside. I would, I would have been embarrassed. I would have known what I was missing out on. I could smell it. I could hear the sounds of the people. It was hard enough. So I just sat out here. And the older gentleman said, you've got to be kidding me. You didn't know? With the price of the ticket came all the food. It's all inclusive. You're not, you couldn't have just ate at the dinner buffet. You could have eaten lunch. You could have eaten breakfast. You could have had the snacks. You could have eaten all you wanted this whole voyage. And the young man, well, he couldn't believe it. He could have been eating steak, but he'd been eating cheese and crackers. And he's mad at himself, and he's thinking, I had a ticket and I'm getting to America, but I could have enjoyed the journey a whole lot more. There's a lot of cheese and cracker Christians in the church. I've been a cheese and cracker Christian myself before. Anybody here ever been a cheese and cracker Christian? Raise your hand. Living on cheese and crackers and God wants you eating at the buffet. It's like you think, well, he saved me. He saved me from my sin. That's good enough. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not good. But there's a lot more freedom God wants you to experience on the journey. There's a lot more purpose. There's an adventure far greater than that. 
We're sitting outside eating cheese and crackers instead of getting on the inside of it and eating off a buffet. And that's what the Israelites were doing. They had become followers of Jehovah, of God, but they were cheese and cracker followers. They didn't possess all that God wanted them to possess. And the question is, Josh, why? What caused them to not possess the promise? Why did they give up 90% and only possess 10%? I'm going to give you a number of reasons why and see if you think you and I have anything in common with them. Here's one. They listened to the wrong people. You got to be careful who you listen to in your life. The Bible talks about the counsel of the godly, and that's a good thing. The Bible also talks about the counsel of the ungodly. That's a bad thing. Do you remember there's a story in the Bible, and I don't have time to go into every scripture, but there's a story in the Bible. And in this particular story, they go and spy out the land of Canaan, this large, good land flowing with milk and honey, and they spy out the land. In this land, God said, there will be houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant. In other words, there were people living there. They were going to go in and conquer, and everything was already going to be set up for them. And so they go over there and spot out, and they see some of the descendants of a man named Goliath. Goliath was nine foot, nine inches tall, taller than any basketball player you've ever seen. Listen, the head of his spear was 120 pounds. If any of you ever go to the gym, I pass it sometimes, this little Mexican restaurant, but if you ever go, think of a 45-pound plate on each side on the bar. His spear was like he was swinging around, two 45 plates on a bench press bar, and he just walking around with it. What I'm trying to say is he's really, really strong. And they see his descendants, right? And they see his descendants, and they go, they come back, and they tell Moses, they tell the people, they're like, listen, listen, listen. We are like grasshoppers on our own sight. In other words, we looked at them, and we feel like grasshoppers. You go, Josh, that analogy doesn't make sense at all. Well, let me say it this way. Here's what they're saying. They will squash us. They will step on us like insects. We don't stand a chance. But two young men full of faith and believing God believed that the Lord had given them a promise, and they believed that if God promised you something, it doesn't matter what impossibilities are standing in the way. You just have to believe the Lord. Their name was Joshua and Caleb, and they stood up, and they said, don't listen to all the people. Our God is able. And if God told us we'll possess the land, and by golly, they didn't say by golly, I'm adding that in there, we'll possess it. And the people listened to the bad report instead of the good report. You got to watch who you take advice, who you get counsel from, who you share with, because some of the reasons we don't reach God's full promises in our life, we listen to doubters. We listen to people that look at us and they say, oh, you can't do that, you can't do this, and you can't. And I'm just telling you right now, don't ever let any man tell you what you can or can't do. Let the Lord set your path. Let the Lord set the course of your future. Believe whatever promise God. I've seen people that have taken a scripture and they've held on to it and they believe for the impossible and everybody around them, their jaw dropped when God did it. I've seen some amazing things in my life God's done for people, and you have too. And it's because they refuse to listen to a report of another. Here's another reason, intermarriage. Intermarriage. And you go, I can't believe you're going to preach about race in church. I'm not talking about that intermarriage, right? Um, I'm not talking about race. It has nothing to do with that. 
It's not about color of skin. It's about faith. It's about religion. And the word of God said, he had told them, you cannot intermarry with these people because you follow me and they follow false gods. And, and, and just listen, here's the problem with that. The Bible says, evil company corrupts good habits. If I stand in this chair right now, all right, and if I just pick somebody out of the room, I could pick one of the smaller people in the room, right? Anybody want to raise their hand? No, not you. You're not, you're not small. No, you're not very small either. I'm, I'm just kidding with you guys, by the way. Nobody's raising their hand. Max raised his hand. If I pick somebody in the room smaller, do you think, probably a lot of you grew up in church, you saw this in youth group probably. I didn't grow up in church, so I saw this like three years ago. And I thought it was great. And Everybody's like, you've never seen that before? And I'm like, never. If I'm standing in this chair and Max comes over here, do you think I have a better chance of pulling him up or he has a better chance of pulling me down? That is good, ain't it? Who said that? Me too. I thought so too. I was like, that's good. And everybody's like, you've never heard that? I'm like, never, never. I've got a better chance of pulling him up. Nope. He's got a better chance of pulling me down. And you know how many times I've seen this happen? One thing that's broke, it's, it has broke my heart in the church is you'll see a young lady get saved or a young man get saved, and then they'll start dating somebody that doesn't have the same Christian values they have. But they fall in love and a love bug hits them. And you'll be telling them, I wouldn't do that. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. And that's what this is about. And you can't be unequally yoked. They'll pull you down. And they're like, you don't understand. They're going to come to church with me. Or you don't understand. They want to do. People can't serve God for you. They have to serve God because they want to serve God. Not to get, not to get a girlfriend. Not to get a boyfriend. And it's more than just that. Because then they'll get married. And a year later, what will they be saying? You'd be sitting in counseling, and when the person leaves, they're like, I should have never married him. I should have never married her. I messed up. Yeah, but you come into covenant with somebody that doesn't have the same convictions, value, or faith in Jesus that you have. And you know what? You just gave up some land, and you didn't even know it. You just gave up some purpose, and you didn't even know it. I had a friend call me a while back about a business opportunity, and it sounds like a great deal. And he's asking me, what do you think? And I asked a few more questions, and here's what I said run. He said, did you hear the profit I'm talking about? Did you hear the cost, the capital they wanted you hear? And I said, I heard anything. They're going to own or finance my side of it. I go, I heard it all. Run. And here's why. The person's not a Christ follower. And you are. And you're about to enter a covenant with them. It's called an LLC, a limited liability corporation. And both of you are going to be owners in this LLC. And the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. And the person literally said to me, I don't agree. Three months in, I got a call. Three months in, I got a call. And he said, I've messed up, and I've messed up big time. And he breaks down this whole story, and I said, what are you learning? He said, I'm learning don't be unequally yoked. They want to do some stuff, Josh, that I think it's gray, it's a little shady. I can't do that. For the Lord to bless this business, we have to do what's right even when no one's looking. And they want to do what's wrong as long as somebody's not looking. He said, I don't know how to get out of this mess. It's true in your friendships. It's true in your relationships, whether you're looking at dating. It's true in your partnerships. It's true in all aspects of your life. And I'm not saying don't be friendly to people who don't know Jesus. I'm not saying don't be a witness. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying don't lock arms. 
Don't yoke up. Don't partner up with somebody that doesn't share the same faith you share in God. And because they began to intermarry, they stopped possessing land that God had promised them. Yeah, I like preaching to you. Can you come to the third service too? She's over here going, that's good. I said that. She goes, wow. I'll pay you to start attending all three services when I preach. All right. Now she's really getting into it. I'm going to give a dollar for everything you do like that. She's like, whoo, Lord. Hallelujah. Here's another one, apathy. Apathy. Do you know there's one particular part where there's one of the tribes, there's 12 tribes, and one of the tribes literally said, you know, we know that that's our inheritance and we know we can possess it, but here's what they said in short. They said this, we like where we're at. It may not be all God has for us, but I tell you this, it's a lot better than where we came from. It's a lot better in Egypt. And so they went, I know it may not be all the land we were supposed to possess, but the land we have is not bad. And it's better than where we, where we were. And so we think we'll just settle in here and we'll just kind of get a little apathetic. Because listen, if you're ever going to reach the full promise of God in your life, it's going to take activity on your part. You can't be apathetic. You can't be lazy. You can't. And I've done that one. I remember there was a point in my life where a friend called me out on it. He's like, can I just ask you a few questions? Because I've been noticing some things. I've been noticing your attitude. I've been been noticing some things. And he said, how often are you in your word? And I went, man, since I stopped preaching and I'm not pastoring anymore, I, I read my Bible some, but it's like a little devotion. And so, and he finally goes, and I go, not like I should be. Not like I should be. Not at all. And he goes, how you doing with praying? Do you talk to God a lot? And I thought about it for a minute. I went, you know, my life's pretty cushioned right now. I'm not fighting any battles right now. I can pay the electric bill. I'm not struggling to make the mortgage. And all the stuff before, they drive me to my knees and go, oh, God, help me. Now everything's pretty, pretty, I'm pretty comfortable. And I went, I'm, I'm not talking to God like I should be. And we just kept going through things, church attendance, and are you engaged, and are you... And then when he was done, he goes, what have you heard you say? And I said, I've heard me say I'm kind of apathetic right now in my walk with the Lord. My spiritual disciplines aren't very disciplined. It's not really there. And he said, I want to say one thing to you. I see it. It's showing up in your life. And I thank God for this old man. He's, he's a buddy. He's a mentor. We had dinner with him last night in Charlotte, North Carolina. And here's what he, here's what he said to me. He goes, God's got a lot in store for you, Josh Hanna, but you're not going to reach it behaving like this. You need to dig in. I want to say something to other people in the room. Maybe you need to hear what I heard. Hey, God's got a lot in store for you, but you're going to have to dig in. Don't get comfortable. Don't get lazy. You know, when, when somebody's sick in the family or we can't pay our bills or we're going through a trial, buddy, we'll dig in. We'll go deep. Listen, hard times test your faith, but success and victory will test your faithfulness. God hasn't called us to coast in this world. God's called us to passionately pursue him. And that, that is where you start getting into more of the promise. Self-doubt, anybody ever battle with that one? Am I the only person in here that when I started hearing about God didn't just save me from, he saved me for, and I decided I won't be a cheese and cracker Christian and I'm getting all this revelation, I didn't doubt God. I just doubted me. 
Has anybody here, you're like, I don't doubt the Lord can. I don't doubt that anything's possible with the Lord. My doubt is not about God. My doubts are about me. Anybody ever had that before? Yeah? Some of you raised your hand. Some of you pointed at somebody else. It's kind of rude. <laughs> right? Yeah. But you know what? Um, the Bible says this about King David in Acts chapter 13. It says that David fulfilled God's will for his life and his own generation. And you go, okay, now wait a minute. When God chose David, David wasn't like any, anybody else. He, he wasn't a person they thought he would choose. He's a ruddy-looking lad. The, the prophet came to the house of Jesse. That's David's father, and he's like, there's a king in this house, and get all your sons out here. And the dad didn't even bring David out. And there's a lot of theories on why, but one probably is just this. Um, the dad didn't see a king in David, and nobody else saw a king in David. He's probably 16 years old when Jesse showed up, most scholars say, and, and he's a shepherd. He's out in the fields. His brothers would go down to the line, and they would fight for Israel. They were warriors. They were soldiers. David's a shepherd boy out there playing a harp. He's artistic. You know what I mean? I don't think his daddy looked at that little boy running around with a harp thinking king. And yet, finally, Samuel says, there's got to be another one, and David comes, and he anoints him as king. And here's what the Lord said to Samuel. I think Samuel's shocked. And he said, David, I found one that is a man after my own heart who will do all according to my will. Can I say it another way? I have found somebody that's not a cheese and cracker follower. I found somebody that, that won't just possess 10%, but they want to possess all that I promised them. I found somebody that will be loyal and faithful no matter what. But David's path there, it says in Acts 13 that he fulfilled God's will for his life and his own generation. But it wasn't a straight line, was it? It wasn't without failure. It wasn't without some mistakes. David, David messed up, and he messed up more than once. One time he got prideful that he numbered something God had asked him not to. Right? Another time he got lustful and he committed an act that he, wasn't, he shouldn't have committed. And, and there's some other mistakes we could talk about. He, he at times was passive with his family and he didn't discipline his children and he didn't deal with things. He just let it go because he was busy with trying to build a kingdom. And so David was not perfect. David had some flaws. He had some mistakes. But here's the good news for all you self-doubters because I'm one of you. He still fulfilled God's will for his life and his own generation. And here's what that tells me. Even if I mess up, there's going to be consequences for that. Don't mishear me. There's going to be hurt and pain, and you're going to wish you wouldn't have done it. Listen, you better run as far away from sin as you can because it'll destroy you and your family. But even in his mistakes, David would get humble. He would repent. He would turn. And you know what the Lord would do? The Lord would forgive him. And the Lord would give him another shot. And so what I'm saying to you is one of the reasons we self-doubt ourselves is because we know ourselves. We know the thoughts that run through our minds. We know our inadequacies. We know our failures. We know all this stuff about ourselves. And what the enemy will do, he'll take all that and use it against us, and he'll get us to try to not fulfill all of God's promise. Can I tell you one more thing, and I'm going to start wrapping it up? The promise, what God wants to bring you into, isn't just about you. When I moved to Oklahoma, I didn't want to move to Oklahoma, no offense, but I love Tennessee. And I just didn't want to move out here. It's flat. I come from the hills. The water is not clear. I come from rock bottom creeks. It's clear water. And, and I'm not putting anything down here because I love it. I don't want to go back to Tennessee. 
I love Oklahoma. I'm an Okie now. I'm an Okie from Muskogee. Not really, but, but I am. I'm an Okie now. But when I come out here, I felt like it was such a sacrifice. Me and a guy named Jeremy Parker, we drove a U-Haul out here, which some of the Hope guys helped me load. And when we got out here, everything was broke. <laughs> was it not, honey? The TVs were broke, everything. Uh, we didn't load it right. Don't always try to save money. Sometimes it'll cost you, <laughs> right? I actually had a friend, uh, one of the family members in the room today, and she's like, hey, we have a moving company. I will help you. I will help you, Joe. You need a moving company? I'm like, no, I don't want. Who needs professionals? Me and a couple of, we can do it. It doesn't take a rocket science, you know, scientist to move, you know, some furniture. I threw everything, I think, but a couch and a mattress away. It was a mess, an absolute mess. What I'm going to say to you is this. On the way out here, I didn't even know why I was coming here, but I knew the Lord said this to me one day in prayer. He said, there are men that will need you. That's all he said. But it hit me, God's not moving me out there for me. God's moving me out there for others. But I got to tell you, when you're obedient, you still get blessed in the process. I'm gonna, I could talk about idolatry. I could talk about sin. I could talk about unbelief. I could talk about all the reasons they didn't possess the land. But I want to read you a scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. In 1 Corinthians 10... He's listing out all the failures and all the mistakes of the Israelites, and he's telling us why they didn't possess all the land that God wanted them to possess, why they only got a tenth of the promise. And then he, and then he ends it up with saying this, all this wasn't written for them. It's written for you. Because you're going to learn one of two ways. You're going to learn through mistakes or mentors. Pick one. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to learn from mistakes. I want to learn from other people's mistakes. I want to learn through mentors. And here's the wisdom of Scripture, that God wrote down all of these people's lives because they're mentors to us. You don't have to meet somebody for them to be a mentor. We've got their whole life in the pages of his book. And we read about their life and we see their successes and their failures and their victories and their low moments. And we read about it all. And it's there because God's saying that is mentorship for you. When you read the Word of God, you're being mentored every time. I had a guy a while ago said, nobody will mentor me. Nobody, I'm just looking for a mentor. Nobody will mentor me. And I went, the Word of God will mentor you. Read the Bible. It's the best leadership book ever written. It's a book for marriage. It's a book for emotional health. It's, you fill in the blank, and it's a book for that. And it mentors us. And, and God said, I put all of these people's stories in here, not to shame them, not to show you how they messed up. I put all these stories in here. For you, church, it's all for you. And some of them, they fulfilled God's will for their life. They reached the promise, and they got the full promise that God ever had for them. And some of them, like the Israelites, only ever captured 10%. And I just want to encourage you today. I want you to go for it. I want you to go for it. You have no idea what God wants to do with you. And, and there's even some in the room going, yeah, but half my life's over. I'm at that point where they call it middle-aged, but I'm 45. That means I'll live to be 90. I'm not so sure. I might have to quit drinking all that milk if that's going to happen. I might have to go to 1% or skim. I'm not, I'm not sure, but here's what I do know. I do know if I'm not dead, I'm not done. I still got breath in me. And some of you in here go, I wished I was 45. I'm 70 or I'm 80, but I'll tell you this. 
Moses was 80. And at 80, that's when God said, hey, we're going to bring them out. And they're going to need a leader. Tag, you're it. Would you bow your heads and, and can we pray together? Lord, I believe people all over this room today, they're just being dealt with by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to let you, God, work there. I'm going to let you work with them and, and let them pray to you and just let you deal with them the rest of this afternoon and encourage us and exhort us to go for it, Lord, to reach the full promise of all you have for us. And I believe you'll speak to us, Holy Spirit, not just in this service, but throughout the day. But I want to wrap the service up by asking this question. If you're in here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're in here today and if you died, you don't know whether you'd go to heaven or not. You can know before you leave this place today. You can be saved from your slavery. He who sins is a slave to sin. You can be brought out of that mess and God will save you today for a purpose. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life and you will have heaven to look forward to and an adventure with Him while you're on planet Earth. If you want a clean slate today and a fresh start, would you raise your hand? Every head's bowed, every eye's closed, but I'm gonna pray with you today right there where you're at. God bless you. Is there anybody else outside of the one? Today, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. I wanna pray with you that raised your hand. Congregation, if you wanna pray, let's pray together. Say this, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again on the third day. And I confess I'm a sinner, but I also confess you as Lord. And I ask you to save me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you give this person a hand clap if you would? We love you very much. We're proud of you. God loves you. Hey, thank you so much for letting me share with you today. When Pastor John comes back next week, would you do me a favor? Would you say, can he preach more? Would you just let him preach more? And I'm paying you when I'm here. I'm paying, I'm paying you. I'm not paying you when John's here or Pastor Steve. I'm just paying you when I'm here. Okay. Thank you, Pastor Josh, for an incredible word and uh, sharing God's word with us today. And I know in my own life, it spoke to me. Um, and not possessing the full promise that God has for us and that opportunity to step into that. I want to take just a few moments and tell you that if you're ready or you're in that place where you're ready to take your next step, I want to encourage you. There's a next steps card in the seat back in front of you. Maybe you've accepted Christ for the first time today and we want to encourage you to fill out that card. But also, maybe you're ready to take baptism that's taking place next week or uh, get on a team or join a group. We want to, we're excited and we want to partner with you on that journey. So I encourage you to get that card completed. Stop by our next steps desk. We'd love to get you connected to that process. And so I'm excited for what God wants to do in your life and through your life. Also, just want to share with you just a couple of closing announcements. Um, so on Wednesday uh, evening at 7 p.m., it's our encounter worship night. I want to invite you to come and be a part of that. We've been in this season of 21 days in prayer and fasting. And so as we come to a close, we just want to, as a church family, come together and just encounter the presence of God together. And then our students are going to be having an after party after that. And so just make plans to be a part of what's taking place here Wednesday evening. Also, next Sunday, we're starting a new sermon series, Unoffendable. And so maybe uh, you battle the spirit of offense, and we want to give you tools and resources and how to overcome that through God's Word. And then also, there's opportunities for you to be a part of what's taking place at Hope Center Ministries uh, through volunteering. So there's 
um, some signups at the Next Steps desk if you are interested in volunteering, helping with different things that's taking place, family support at Hope Center. We'd love for you to be a part. Would you stand with me? And I want to pray over you. We'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the truth of your word. God, thank you that it is, uh, it's intended to transform us. And I pray that today that it does that or that you would chisel out the things that are causing us not to walk in freedom. That God, that we wouldn't be just cheese and cracker Christians, but God, that we would possess the promise. And so today, God, we, uh, we love you. We honor you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Hope you have an incredible day. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.